Stupid fucked up, wicked high Don't you ever just wonder why We didn't learn the true history But now they're about to teach you and me Oh, 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 high story History, which I haven't smoked yet. We're your hosts. I'm Liv. This is uh, Abby on the bong. Yep. You know, just taking a big old rip. (laughs) And for those of you ready to learn about some crazy cool shit about dope women in history that you definitely didn't learn in school, we got you covered. That's what we're here for. Bring to light all the women in history that just got literally mowed down by men. Shout out to our buddy who just got back from Cali, who will remain nameless, but brought us some bank buds. Yes. Like, the good shit. <laughs> oh my god. Like, Straight from the source. One hit wonder, honestly. And this is Untold High Story. Where we, high that? stories or history. So where we tell very high stories yes. of the past. Of history. And yeah. Mainly mm-hmm. about women. Yeah. People are going to learn some cool shit. I think we're going to learn some cool stuff. And That's I think, the most exciting part. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because then the more people that know about these things are going to go then and take that one step further and look stuff up themselves. Right. Okay. okay. You start. I'm going to smoke this. <laughs> Initially, I thought the topic that I was researching was the history of jewelry. So my initial source came from the International Gem Society, which was like the first website that I stumbled on. So upon this first descent down the research hole, simply provided very, it just, it provided very technical information that I wasn't necessarily interested in. It was on the background and like the physicality of jewelry. So by that, I mean lots of details about the makeup and the design of specific pieces of jewelry and how slash why they became popular in various cultures and religions and blah. This is basically one sentence that I summed up from that research. Many types of jewelry items still made today began as functional objects. Pins and brooches originated from the clasps that held together clothing. Rings and pendants were used for early seals and signs of identification, rank, and authority. But then, as I continued to read about it, it was pretty fucking boring. So I started to research other keywords because I knew that what I was digging for was information information on women's relationship with jewelry in the past and subsequently their relationship with money. Oh. Is what it boils okay. down to. I wanted to learn more about the fact that women first began to acquire expensive jewelry and fur coats not because they were simply frivolous, but because they weren't permitted to open bank accounts, but and they needed an asset to sell for cash in case they had to split in case the fire, a fire burned the house down in case their husbands died and they weren't, it was this whole thing. So then would their husbands buy them this fancy stuff or would they buy this? Do you know? It, were they like gifts that they would like, oh, I possess this. That's a gift. That's a good question. I don't know if it was necessarily them. From the majority of the research that I got, it was just a currency. Like like it was just their form of currency. I see. 
Damn. And so that's kind of what dug me down this hole. So my major wow. source is from The Guardian. Okay. And it's an article titled Women Rights and Their Money. And it's a timeline literally all the way back from Cleopatra up until the Lily Ledbetter bill that was passed, I believe, when Obama was in office. I'll get into the details. Of oh, that. so that. Um, wow. Like hundreds. But it's going to span. Right. So I'm going to kind of push through kind of fast. Get it's ancient that. Egypt. It's 31 100 B C E and after obviously women hold equal financial rights. So Shut this up. is where we're starting. Take note. What? This is where we're starting. What ha- what went wrong in history? Scholar Janet Johnson writes, Egyptian women were able to acquire, to own and to dispose of property, both real and personal, in their own name. They could enter into contracts in their own name. They could initiate civil court cases and could, likewise, be sued. They could serve as witnesses in court cases. They could serve on juries. They could witness legal documents. However, women don't always exercise these rights in this era. And Johnson stated because of social factors. Let's leave that where it leaves. You have rights, but we're going to bully you not to well, Oh, right. It was people's pressures of maybe it was emasculated. Made to, made to seem equal, maybe it wasn't but right. not actually. They had these rights. They were able to do it. And they did it. It's almost like they weren't. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Now we jump to the biblical era. That's, it was, it's a pretty general one. 1800 BC and after under Jewish law, women have the right to own property and sue others in court without a man representing them. Wives can't inherit directly from their husbands unless it is a gift or they have no children, but daughters can inherit if they don't have brothers. The book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Hebrew Bible, lays down an early law of personal finance. If a man die and have no son, shall cause his inheritance to pass down to his daughter. Still, the sons who inherit are expected to use the estate to support the women in the family. Okay. Okay? Yep. yep. So they can't be in your name, but they can support you. Now we move over to the other side of the world. Ancient Hinduism, 1500 BC and after. Women have the right to control Stridhan, which I had to look up I did not know what this was. It's a term associated with Hindu law. And it's the character of property that is whether it is a woman's estate depends on the source from which it has been obtained. A woman has inalienable rights over her stridhan and she can claim the same even after the se- her separation from her husband. I don't know. It sounded a lot like, a like dow- you literally took dowry? the words right out of my dowry? mouth. Dowry? Yep. Is that it? I was yes. just dowry. dowry. Yep. Yeah, that is what it sounds like where it's like <laughs> That's we collect, what it we we gift you these things when and you it's get usually married to like, pay off. It's literally to pay off. Isn't it usually her father's money? Yes. Correct? The okay. father the father pays for her to be married, gives it to like the husband or whatever. But then when they are separated, the wife So is... like you sold your daughter. That's what's happening. Kind no. of in a low key way. No, because you're not getting money. You're giving away money. Oh, I see. I see. It's like an inheritance she can take with her like, into no, that relationship. Like you're, yes. 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 Yep. That's kind of nice. Part of me almost thinks that it's like he's paying the guy to marry his daughter. Well, right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. (laughs) She's still in control of that is what this is saying. So, or property. Oh, wow. The next sentence. Or property before marriage, (laughs) which includes gifts from her parents, friends, and strangers, as well as earnings from her own work. Divorce is not allowed and inheritance laws favor male family members. Okay. So that was ancient Hindu. Let's jump around to ancient Greece. Is this still like BC? 
regress. Yeah, we're still in BC time. We're going to hit AD in two bullet points. Sweet. Okay, no, go. but you said Greece, we digress. We regress. Regress. Yep, we're going back. So women's financial rights are constrained compared to earlier societies. Women are not allowed to inherit property to take a case to court unless a male guardian is in charge. Women can, however, trade and engage in industries such as tavern keeping, although work in the classical watering hole is reserved for the lower classes. Now we jump over to ancient Rome, which Greece, Rome, right? Yeah. The pendulum swings back as freeborn Roman women are allowed to divorce, own property, and inherit. Hell so bam, Rome is like, women, you can do it. We love- Divorce is easy to get, foreshadowing the Christian opposition to splitting up marriages, but the husband had the legal right to keep the children. Is the only thing in the Roman society. Oh. That is kind of not chill. And that kind of rolls into today. I mean, it's not no, chill wait, depending no. the on... Mother, like, sorry, the mother always gets it. So that's opposite yeah. today. I was going to say, it's... I mean, depending on the, what you want when you want a divorce. Right. Yes, yes. Like, so maybe you you're like, for... you get full custody and can deal with these little brats? Have at it. Just like... You know, uh, yes. So okay, I want to see... So now we have full rights. We're in Roman Empire, and they're like, yeah, women rule. Right. Do you. So now we're in the Byzantine Empire. So we're, now we're after death. Yes, okay. 565. The Justinian Laws, named after the emperor known as the Last Roman, who created a temple for modern Western civil law, allow women to be married without a dowry. So now you don't. Your dad... Your daddy doesn't have to pay. You just marry out of love. Finally. Some working women, including prostitutes and tavern workers, do not have the right to marry Roman citizens and can only be kept by Roman men as concubines. Wait. So that's kind of lame. So basically, there's two different cultures. One can't marry the The last Roman. So it must have been the last Roman empire. Like, person in charge. Yeah. If a woman cheats on her husband, he can divorce her and keep the prenuptial gift, the dowry, and one-third of any other property that she possessed, including jewelry and fur coats. And anything like that. Justinian's wife, the Empress Theodora, a former actress and wool spinner, left her jobs when the emperor courted her. She is widely credited with influencing him to expand property and divorce rights for women. Now we're shifting over to the Middle East. It's after death. It's the 600s. Islam is founded in Arabia and allows women the right to inherit estates, own property, and initiate divorce. Wow. Fuck yeah. That's amazing. As in Jewish law, when a parent dies and the eldest son receives a double share of the inheritance, men can inherit half of their wives' estates unless they have a child, in which case men only get 25% of the estates. So now let's flash over to Europe, which you've spent a lot of time there. Yes. We're in the 800s. The Anglo-Saxon laws allow women to have their own property before and after marriage. Fuck yeah. In Norse societies, women are also allowed to conduct business as equals with men. Do you need to get more high for this? (laughs) So now we're in England. It's the 1100s. Okay. English common law, a combination of... Is this still Anglo-Saxon? Yep, I was just going to say, it's a combination of Anglo-Saxon and Norman traditions. Kill your motherfucker. So the two have fused. Uh, This leads to the creation of coverture which is the belief that married men and women are one financial entity. 
right? Which we kind of have some, yes. some yep. reflections of today. As such, married Very women true. cannot own property, run taverns or stores, or sue someone in court. Those financial rights could be enjoyed, however, by widows and spinsters. Oh, My favorite part. Over time, fuck you want. <laughs> coverture is corrupted. I mean, it doesn't last forever, but... That was the general uh, general thing going down in the 1100s in England. Let's talk about America. It's 1718, so we're flashing forward about 600 years. Okay. In Pennsylvania, women are allowed to own and manage property. Pretty cool. But it's only if their husbands are incapacitated. Literally, that's the word. Like in a coma? I think they still have to be alive and maybe just like... Like maybe yeah, pl- paraplegic, coma, Definitely like mentally Very, deficient. Yeah. Okay. Now we're moving over to where you want to go next, Russia. Oh, and fast- in the same time, fast forward forty years. Okay, okay, okay. so still seventeen, late seventeen hundreds. Russian women are granted the right to what's known as a separate economy. Defined, this is the ability to earn their own income and retain it for their own use, independent okay. of their husbands. That cool. meant he couldn't demand that she turn it over to him to drink or gamble with, <laughs> or say to support a mistress. Which is what they used to do. Love that they have to write that in. Seriously. (laughs) A little over a decade later, Catherine the Great establishes the first state-financed institution of higher education for women. Mm. A.A. It's called the Smolny. Smolny? S-M-O-L-N-Y. Smolny Institute in St. Petersburg. Now we're coming back over across the pond. We're back in America. It's 1771. It's five years before we're signing the Declaration of Independence. We're in New York, and they become the first U.S. state to require a woman's consent if her husband tries to sell property that she brought to a marriage. So if she's bringing in property, he moves into her house. Yep. He's got to get permission. That's what this is saying. I... The act also required the judge to meet privately with the woman to reassure himself that the signature wasn't forced or her consent coerced. That's pretty fucking cool. That's cool. And that's cool of New York to realize that men, they will, they were bullies. So now we're going to, you've been to France, right? A few times, I thought. A few times, yes. Uh, It's 1791. It's revolutionary France then. And they give women equal inheritance rights, Um, although they lose them later, which uh, that's when the monarchy is restored. Marie Antoinette, for example, is a cautionary tale in personal finance who inadvertently fed the flames of a revolution that briefly allowed women in France the right to inherit property. Now, these next few bullet points, I pretty much for the rest of the time, we're in U.S. for the majority of the rest of them. We bounce over back to the U.K. and France one time, but I'll let you know. It's 1839. Mississippi allows women to own property in their own names. It is the first state to do so. U.S. 1844, married women in Maine become the first in the U.S. to win the right to a separate economy. 1845, women gain the right to file patents in New York, which is pretty cool. Flash forward three more years, Married Woman's Property Act is passed in the city of New York. It is later used as a model for other states, all of which passed their own versions by 1900. For the first time, a woman wasn't automatically liable for her husband's debts. She could enter contracts on her own. She could collect rents or receive an inheritance in her own right. She could file a lawsuit on her 
own behalf, she became, for economic purposes, an individual. You know what's- As if she were still single. Iceland, 1850. Iceland becomes the first country to institute unconditional equal inheritance rights. They just have been doing it right since day one. That's what that means. Iceland really has their shit figured out. They really have it figured out. Now we're back in the U.S. It's 1862. The U.S. Homestead Act makes it easier for single, widowed, and divorced women to claim their own, or land in their own names. In that same year, California passes a law that established a state savings and loan industry that also guaranteed that a woman who made deposits in her own name was entitled to keep control of the money. And in 1862, the San Francisco Savings Union approved a loan to a woman. Huzzah! Now we're back in the UK, 1870. They passed the Married Woman's Property Act, just like the US did. Back to the US, it's 1872. Illinois grants freedom of occupational choice to both men and women. But when Mira Colby Bradwell, who studied as her husband's law apprentice to pass the Illinois bar, tries to practice as a lawyer, the US Supreme Court rules in 1873 that the state doesn't have to grant a law license to a married woman. Still in the U.S., it's 1880. Mary Gage opens a stock exchange for women who want to use their own money to speculate on railroad stock. Meanwhile, notorious cheapskate Hetty Green, a.k.a. the Witch of Wall Street, is consolidating her own fortune. Because she can. Back to France. 1881. France grants women the right to own bank accounts. Five years later, the right is extended to a married woman who are allowed to open accounts without their husband's permission. Okay, pause. What year is this? 1881. Oh my God. It's like pretty late, dude. That's It's like not that long ago. Especially for where we started. We started in ancient Egypt. And also they had some good shit going and then it literally like... It's been a fluctuating, yes. Yeah. The U.S. does not follow suit, okay? It says that. It does not follow suit. Until the the 1960s. Yeah, that's the whole bra marches, or burning the bras, and the marches, and the shit. But guess what? The U.K. lagged even more. No. 1975. 15 years. What? After the U.S. 1908. We're finally in the 1900s. Oregon limits... The workday for women to 10 hours. Whoa. Whoa. For uh, what? <laughs> right? With the implication that women are too fragile to work much longer than that and are needed at the home. My frail little bones. Uh, in 1919, First Women's Bank of Tennessee, which is in Clarksville, okay. opens to cater to women customers only. While the bank employees and directors were women, its shareholders were men. Let that one sink in. 1921, Alice Mary Robertson of Oklahoma becomes the second woman in Congress running on an anti-feminist platform. What? Including an opposition to women's right to vote and education on maternity and childcare. She saves special scorn for the League of Women Voters or any other organization that will be used as a club against men, quote unquote, and says, I came to Congress to represent my district. Not women. Was she joking just so she could get elected and then was like, boo, 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 I win, motherfuckers. Unfortunately, that is not the case. Wow. That's- Showing that having and getting money are crucial for all women, even in politics. She loses her seat for not appropriating enough cash to her district. <sighs> she serves 
for two years before being voted out of office. In the U.S. and the U.K. in 1922, the U.K. finally allows equal inheritance. I don't know why it says both. In the U.S., suffragette and activist Rebecca Felton of Georgia becomes the first woman to become a U.S. senator. At 87 years old, she serves for one day. She calls out Southern men for an excess of chivalry and too little concern for women's rights, writing, honeyed phrases are pleasant to listen to, but the sensible woman of our country would prefer more substantial gifts. (laughs) As Scarlett O'Hara also learned in the eternal fight between Rhett Butler and Ashley Wilkes, it's better for women to trust the man who delivers and forget the man who only has great manners and honeyed words. That's a Gone with the Wind reference in case anyone was paying attention. Still in the U.S., 1924, Wyoming elects the nation's first female governor. 1938, (laughs) the federal minimum wage is born with the Fair Labor Standards Act, wiping out common pay differences between men and women. So they were being paid the same. 1938. What changed, huh? 1956, no, 1963, excuse me. The U.S. passes the first legislation requiring equal pay for equal work, but it would need to be expanded in 1972 to salespeople, executives, and administrators. 1967, Lyndon B. Johnson's 1965 affirmative action benefits are expanded to cover women. 1969, Colgate Palm Oil lays off women from all of their jobs rather than putting them into physical work. To protect our ladies in Bowie versus Colgate slash Palm Oil, an appeals court rules physical labor cannot be limited to men. Then we're in 1970. Schultz versus Wheaton Glass. A federal appeals court decision makes it illegal for a company to change a job's title so that they can pay women who held the position less than male workers. Yes. 1972. Catherine Graham, scion of the company that owns the Washington Post, becomes the first woman to become CEO of a Fortune 500 company. She faced down U.S. officials who threatened her about the Watergate revelations have you you've probably heard about this that she was gonna quote get her tit caught in a big fat ringer if that's published that's like what they told her about watergate it is real can i just jump to 2009 is that cool yeah president barack obama signs the lily ledbetter fair restoration act which allows people to sue companies for pay discrimination even if more than six months have passed. Yay. 2014, so it's still like six years ago, nearly two-thirds of minimum wage workers are women, and the movement to raise the wage sweeps the country. In a success for the U.S. Fight for 15 movement, Seattle raises its minimum wage to $15 an hour, and if several other cities and states raise their wage ceilings too, if everyone does it, the federal minimum wage, I mean, is still $7.25 an hour, but no, isn't it nine the poverty day? level wage, I mean, now, yeah, this was 2014. Oh, oh God. I guess. Seven- Living on seven dollars an hour. But they languish in both House and Senate. It doesn't almost seem more of like an ever-flowing ebb and flow of of rights, we could say. But it's almost like back in the day, they really had it figured out. And in my mind, I instantly go to like, they thought we were harmless. So they like, were like, oh yeah, you can 
do all right, this shit. Right. You want to? Yeah, have it. You can, but you probably won't. Yeah. And then they started doing it and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Right. No, that wasn't an invitation. This is backfiring. That, yeah, yeah. And they're probably like, no, no. I just wanted you to think that you could do it, but you'd be like, oh, I'm a girl. And not want to do it. And then they found out that all of us were like, oh, fuck yeah, sweet. Like, why in the right. fuck are we doing dishes when we could be running Wall Street? Like, what is happening? Yep. And yeah, and then... Society, which is men. pretty much men, yeah, yeah they yep. did everything, which plays in the my topic, which is pretty interesting. Excellent and segue. Fun. But anyway, so they figured out that they were like, we should not be telling everybody to do this, and we need to just like really just destroy everything and start from scratch. And women suck. Right. And can't do anything. So it all kind of tumbles into each other because so we talk about women in jewelry and how they needed to own these assets like secretly because yeah. they needed a escape plan basically yeah Mm -hmm. and how that ties into just general women's rights so you start it with okay they can't have a bank account well what else can't they do they can't enter into contracts they can't own property they can't get divorced they can't it started becoming a long list of things that you can't do as a woman as a way to control them you know what i mean as a way to say i'm superior to you and if I want you to stay with me, I'm going to make that there be no other choice, right. no matter how terrible I am. Because we'll throw you a bone once yep. in a while so you're comfortable. Yep. Do you want, yeah. Do you want to go out to fancy dinners? Right. You go have a shopping spree with your gals. Right. Right. Or even, oh, we'll leave you 25% of our inheritance. Yeah. You know, just, just little bits, little bits to but make not you feel safe. To survive. It's really interesting. You don't think about that much about like the history of where women's property rights came from and where women's. Well, right. And how jewelry became property was the symbol yes. of power and freedom and you could own some property but not others right you know, it's like you could own yeah it's just funny i guess i've always wondered what my personal attraction to jewelry has been i mean i've always been a diva right i love yeah. to like dress up and get gaudy and put Have makeup on and costumes and... right but yeah. like yeah there's something really powerful about owning my own thing yeah i mean the mm-hmm. few the few pieces of value that i have yeah. are definitely like definitely you jewelry. Hold on to those. yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. given to me by my by my mom or grandma but yeah yeah like very interesting cool cool subject dude thanks dude i feel it yeah read the read the guardian article it'll i will that was fun. it'll lay it all out yeah so it's a little spin-off oh we talked about last week here's a re do you want the bond yeah oh i was trying not to interrupt yeah you. no so here's a recap so i talked about all these ladies if you did it stop pause Instant. turn it off come back to us Go back. There's literally only one episode before this. Listen Can't to get it. lost. Can't get lost. You guys will love us by so the end. So it's really cool. So basically I talked about all the ladies that brought about feminist atheism. <laughs> especially this lady, Mary Wollstonecraft. Okay. But anyway, her daughter, which I had no clue and I feel so terrible that I had no clue that she wrote this really well-known novel at the age of 18. And it's still one of the most prevalent science fictions of all time. Dracula. No, but, but, (laughs) but she was friends with someone who like created the concept of Dracula because this girl's a fucking cool lady. This woman wrote a, yeah, this woman wrote a freaking novel. Listen to this. Okay, I'm listening. And yes, and you guessed that it was Dracula, not Dracula, but she knew the guy, law, whatever. It's Frankenstein. Okay. Which... I feel like they don't talk about. I don't think that's something that they point out when you read Frankenstein in ninth grade English. I don't think. Did you read Frankenstein in ninth grade English? I 
feel like I did. Yeah. It's very prevalent. Okay, but how many things were you given in English and like, oh, research this author because you didn't know. You were just like True, focused on be, reading the book. I'm going to be honest. Half the time I never even looked at the authors. I was just like, I need to read this book for school. I'll I'm be gonna, honest. I'm gonna, I didn't read the book. Cliff, Cliff Notes. Notes. So... Speaking of Cliff Notes, there are some people that also have never read the book. So I am giving them Cliff Notes. Right, right. Because I don't want you to be lost. So Frankenstein, basically, is about this doctor named, or scientist named Victor Frankenstein, who comes up with this idea that he wants to recreate life. So he gathers all these cadaver bodies and, like, animal parts Right, he's, shit. like, obsessed with it. Yes. And he uses electricity and all his, like, weird... Yeah, made up stuff. Oh, we know. We've seen. Yeah. So anyway, it ends up he want the monster's like, I want a love partner who's also ugly like me. And Victor gets freaked out by it and says no. And then the monster ends up killing him, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Basically, there's a lot of themes that they always talk about when it comes to Frankenstein, like birth and creation, alienation, revenge, right. nature, you know, nature versus nurture. Bond between father and son or yes. creator. And yep. yep yes. Yep. All this stuff. Mm -hmm. But people always forget about feminism, which I thought was very interesting is that all these people now are arguing that Frankenstein is in fact a feminist science fiction novel. Thanks for that face. Well, uh, yeah, well, because, thanks for that face. Because you can't see it, but it was real. It was a face. It was. Uh, it walk was me face. through that one, Baggy. Walk me through it. It's very interesting. But before, see, get you on the hook. I am. Because I need to tell you about Mary's life. So Mary, Mary Wolf, Wollstonecraft, her mm -hmm. mother died shortly after giving birth to her. So a month after birth, she dies. But thankfully, her dad taught her all about feminism and gave her all of her mother's work. And even though he remarried and the wife was not about that situation, like didn't want Mary to know, Mary was really like dove deep into all that. And her dad really wanted her to be a strong-willed woman. Mm -hmm. And so grew, taught her in, in the life. image of her mother, right? Yes, right. yeah. By the time she was 16, she was at this little soiree, because that's what you did in the 1800s. She met a poet named Percy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Percy, who I just hate that name so much, but whatever. Yeah, it just reminds me of, like, Harry Potter. Okay, but naturally they fall in love. But naturally they fell in love. This has to happen. Every story like this goes, you find the guy, you fall in love. Yep, I've been there. But this was different because... He was already married with a pregnant wife at the time that he fell in love with Mary. He had a pregnant wife at home and he meets Mary and he's Whoa. like, I love you. We're running away together forever. Yeah. So instantly both their families were like, fuck you and cut them out completely and said, no, we're done. Nope, nope, nope. Not right. Happening. It's immoral. It's not cool. Yeah. Like, okay. You guys are fuckers. So then they travel all around Europe and it was while they were vacationing in Switzerland that this book actually came to be. A little backstory about 1815. There was this Indonesian volcano, Mount Tambora, that erupted. And when that happened, the entirety of Europe had the year without summer. That's what 1815 is pegged as, the year without a summer. Because this volcano just ruined the climate. Like the whole climate went into a tailspin all the way from Indonesia to Europe. This happened. And for the entire summer, it just rained. Mm -hmm. It rained and rained and rained. It was so gloomy that you couldn't do anything outside. So while they were in Switzerland during this like shitty summer, they all decided to just coop up in this really fancy mansion. So it was her. It was 
was Percy, and then it was this guy named Lord Byron, and mm-hmm. a few other people who I was not interested in, so I was like, me. A lot of poets, very creative minds, very creative people. So it was like a, they were living like commune life? Like a, or like a Kinda. collective house? Okay. Yeah, like a collective house. Like they had mm-hmm. this huge mansion, and they were all like, we're best, we're friends. And they were just riding yes, out the yes, situation. Yes, okay. they were like, we're friends, let's go on this fun vacation. Gotcha. And just kind of find some fun things to do that we can make this a memorable summer, even though it's like shitty weather, pretty cool. much. So one of the things they decided to do is read ghost stories. So they would all sit down together at night and they'd read ghost stories, which is super fun. So cool. I know. And then this Lord Byron guy, who was a poet, he decided to host this challenge and he said, okay, we're stuck in Zen all summer. Let's all write our own ghost stories. And then we will bring them back to the table and read them to each other and vote on who. This sounds a lot like what we just did on acid a couple weeks I ago. Know. <laughs> I know. No. That's why I was so drawn to the story. That's funny. Okay. So they okay. all decide to do it. They do this whole challenge where they're going to write ghost stories and then they're all going to vote on it. So, of course, Mary schooled all of them. And mm-hmm. that is when she wrote Frankenstein it, during that summer as like a contest winner thing. So oh, so that was her ghost story. That was her ghost story. The book of Frankenstein. That's fucking cool. Yeah. That whole thing she Frank- wrote in the summer? It was a shortened down version of gotcha, it. And gotcha. then over the next couple of years, she expanded. She, she expanded. Because when she did present it to the men, they said it was a wonderful work for a girl. Because she, I mean, she was 18, so a girl. But they... Because apparently women could not write. Sorry, was she bleeding every month? Because then she was a woman. True, a lady. She agreed that it was fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. So she took it back to all of her friends and they encouraged her to publish the novel. So in 1818 is when it officially was printed and reached publication. But it was originally published anonymously. Because back then, if you were a woman and wanted to publish anything, you needed to find a publisher, A, that would do it, Mm -hmm. and then you would have to do it anonymously, otherwise people wouldn't take your work seriously. Because in everyone's mind back then, it was a a man's work. It was first published anonymously because, I put this in quotes, women can't write compelling stories. (laughs) Because we just have no imagination or past experiences at all. Most people actually thought it was her husband that wrote it because it was written in such a masculine way. And even though she went on to write four other books after that, after her husband died, mind you, her husband dies and then she goes on to write four more books and everyone's still like, nah, She's grieving. your husband wrote that. Are you serious? <laughs> Yes. Still to this day, it is argued that Frankenstein is her husband's work, even though she has proven herself. Yeah. Yeah. So I needed to tell you that little back history just because Mary is a super interesting woman. Yes. So now we're going to delve into where these arguments came to be that it is in fact a feminist novel. Okay, yeah. Talk to me about that. Feminist perspective. The counteract is most people say in order to be a feminist story or novel or whatever, whatever you want, poet, there needs to be a strong female lead and all these things. You know, a lot of people think in order to be feminist... It needs to be strictly about ladies. But in Mary's about case. Done by women, for women. Yes, about, about women. women. Yes. No men are included. And if they're in there, they are sub- they're stupid. They are stupid men. But for Mary's case, her novel lacks all these strong female leads. And I, in fact, I think that's one of the reasons that it presents itself in a feminine way. So there's two women in the plight. That's pretty much it. And one of the female characters is actually the monster that got half created and then destroyed. Gotcha. So that's all she writes about for the female stuff. Is it a 
sorry, logistical question. Mm-hmm. Is it a one act? No, it's not a play. It's, it's like a, full... a chapter book. Oh, oh, it's, it's a, a book. book. It's a book. Yes. In the book, there are two main female characters that are spoken about, and one of them doesn't even have life. It literally is like a, a, a cadaver. Thought. Yes, yes. Like a partly dead, put-together body. But I did find this woman named Anne Meller, and she is the main person that argues that this book is a feminist book. Her belief, this is what she said, in trying to have a baby without a woman, Victor Frankenstein has failed to give his child the mothering and nurturing it requires, the very nur- nourishment that Darwin explicitly equated with female sex. So basically, she believes that this book is a feminist critique on science itself and sheds light into societal norms and roles of genders. So it is written in a way and presents women in a a way to shed light on what is going on in the society at that time. I am like genuinely having the realization right now that that is so relevant and that that it like what the fuck? It was so cool to find out. I so have never thought about basically this book because that way. it was analyzing a male to male creator relationship. It's and commenting put, on the roles of motherhood and creation. Yes. And how it's taking necessary, the power away yes. from women. And it argues how oh necessary God. women are in this society today and how they are being treated and how it's not just and not fair. Yeah. So basically it looks at what all happens yep. when women are not there yep. to figure it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. So I'm just going to touch on the two main women and why this really helps to shed into light what was going on at the time and specifically what Mary wanted to touch on and I think bring to light. Comment on? Yeah, yeah, because I think these were things that she felt very passionately about, so I think that's why she wrote about it. I'm going to start with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is Victor's fiance in the book, and then the female monster. So Elizabeth, she is pretty much only described by the way she looks her appearance okay before we even know anything about her talent her personality her likes dislikes anything the only thing that is touched on is how she looks mm-hmm. her it's does she have like an immaculate body that is just pristine? no it's not even that oh. it's just i think it's just pointing to light that is she a sex worker in the story no i'm no no it just says how like, beautiful she is, even though we don't hear from her at all because Victor turns into a psycho and mm-hmm. becomes so obsessed with his work. So because we only hear about Elizabeth's personality and really nothing else, there's no character development, they think that Mary is trying to suggest a certain importance in the looks of females, that if they are attractive and it gives them a positive characterization despite what their actual personality is so they think that because she wrote elizabeth as such a non-realistic character almost mm-hmm. you don't feel for her at all you right. don't really get to know her you that she's unattainable she's unrelatable yes and yep. they think that she did that and then pointed on her personality to say that oh if you're pretty you don't need to you don't need to really do anything. Okay. Just be pretty. Yeah. And people will figure yep. it out for you. And it can also be argued that after this initial portrayal of Elizabeth, she just never develops as a character. And she is only defined by her appearance to Victor, who is 
our narrative voice. So he's the one that is talking the right. entire story. There is also evidence in the text to suggest that Victor sees Elizabeth solely as an object, something used to gain pleasure from rather than being a human with actual feelings. So that is a big portion of the book that is what makes it a feminist novel is because all of the males, Victor and the monster, mm-hmm. they only care about the women because it appeases them. Right. Because they get a gain. It's in their interest. Yes. Right? Yes. It has nothing to do with what their thoughts and interests might be. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool just because most, you never focus on that part of right. feminism. No, never, thing, no. Which dude, is, this is mind-blowing. It's, it's mind-blowing It stuff. makes me really want to read Frankenstein again. Yeah. Yeah. I, the with whole this time, lens. Yes. Mm-hmm. So basically, that is the main thing I want to show about Elizabeth. Okay, so the female monster, I thought she was really interesting, even more so than Elizabeth, because the interesting part about this female monster is that she was halfway created. So like she never came to life? Like yes. she was constructed she but was never constructed. given the lightning? Yes. Okay. Never okay. given the like shock of life. Maybe I do know more about this than I You do. Give. But the so the male monster how the female's creation came to be is first the male monster was made and then mm-hmm. Victor and the male monster did their whole bonding thing la la whatever and then Victor was like eh fuck you I'm not about this life anymore. Right. So then the male monster said I demand a creature of another sex but as hideous as I am. So I want someone a girl a Good. woman I want a woman, but I, but she needs to be. Bugging I want a like. partner, but she needs to be as, as self-made as I am. Yes. Or what, what Ann Meller would argue was that so ugly that she would only need to be with him. Gotcha. And wouldn't be compelled to go anywhere else because right. no one else would want her because she's wow. hideous. So, although it can be said, again, that the value is placed on the females to only bring joy and pleasure to males in the novel, the creature doesn't really focus on beauty. He's more so, I need a companion. I'm alone. I need a mate. I need someone who thinks like I do, who wants to be there on the same level as me. An element of possession because he wants her to be hideous just so he can say that you're mine and you're not going to be anyone else's. Mm-hmm. As her creator, Victor, starts to make her and then suddenly has this epiphany that oh my god I can't make a female monster because then they're gonna fall in love Mm -hmm. and then the only thing she's gonna want out of him is babies and then they're gonna make a bunch of babies and then they're gonna rule the world and kill every all the humans and all this shit because they're gonna be like superhuman babies yes and he was thinking about in the sense that the only thing women want are babies because that's all we're good for to make babies. So that was his thinking. He's mm-hmm. like, well, I can't make a female monster because all she's going to want is mm-hmm. babies. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to get a job. She doesn't want anything else. She doesn't <laughs> want to bring home the bacon. What is female monster? And that was his biggest thing. He was probably jealous because like, the oh, monster was his only friend, true, bro. Right? Because he did kind of actually. I do remember that. Back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was thinking about in the fact again, too, that, oh my God, if I make this monster, and what if she comes up with her own wants and desires and doesn't want him? Oh. And then we're left with another conundrum because she is a free thinker. Right. What if she doesn't like what she sees? What if she loves me instead of him? Yeah. What if she wants if me to make love another each other monster? More? Right. What if they love each other more and, like, forget yeah. me? Yes. Like, this is a dude who spends all of his time in his lab all mm-hmm. of his energy on his projects he doesn't have a lot of friends so frankenstein is portrayed as like this monster that he created but loved yes he loved him and it really and touches, they had a bond mm-hmm. and it really touches on like male ego about the fact that they they make something and something is attached to them it's and there it's theirs right it's no one else's right that I own that. Right. That right. human, that living thing, yeah. which is weird. Which has its own thing to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So after 
him having this whole epiphany mm-hmm. situation did not make her. He just straight up was like, this is a fucking terrible idea. Well, he got all the parts together, right? No, she was pretty much made and all he needed to do was pull the lever. Got it. And then he oh, thought about lever. it. Yeah. And then said, no, 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 no. And then destroyed her. Like literally like took her all apart. And yeah. And then of course the monster got pissed. The monster murders him. End of the novel. Those things happen. But what they pointed out a lot, which I never would have thought about this. So this leads in the whole feminism thing is that Victor created her. So if he was worried about children, he could have just not made her, her the ability the to make organs. life. Yeah. He could have just made her sterile. But maybe that is a testament to who he is and that he wanted to do it so perfectly that it would resemble... The perfect female form. Because if you can't bear children... You're not really female. (gasps) Oh my god! Yeah! Oh my god! Which isn't true. By the way, no, you women, can be a woman and definitely for, not be a children or bleed you can once be a, a woman no matter what is inside or on the outside of your body. But in 1818, mm. they didn't believe that for a long time. They didn't believe that they believed that women needed to be this perfect representation and they needed to bear life. Otherwise, they were useless in their eyes. So just sounds like a little boy who wanted to play God to me. Exactly. That is another big topic that gets thrown around with feminism in that it was almost this weird concept where Victor was jealous that women could create life and were so close to God right. and <gasps> and held that power in their hand and he wanted to do that. And he, he had... Did he have a strenuous relationship with his mother? I think so. I think so. She died at a young age. (laughs) One of the blogs. Yeah. And one of the blogs I read, which was so cool. And I want to put a link to this because I want everyone to read this who's in high school right now. It's written by a high school teacher because she teaches Frankenstein and teaches this in her class. Mm -hmm. That it's a feminist science fiction novel and has a discussion-based argument with her students about why it is a feminist novel and makes them think about it. And how it's so important to have a bond with a woman. Yes, and how it's so relevant. From a very early age. Even though it was written hundreds of years ago. Almost 200 years ago it was written. So I think... What Mary did is Did Mary, she not get the credit she deserved? Did I don't she kill she, it? I did don't, she mean for it to be taken this way? That's what did, we'll never know. But I think she did mean it that way because if you read about her mom and her dad, they both were very ahead of their time, were very progressive. Even her dad fought for equal rights for women. He right. did not believe in discrimination in any sense or form. And he raised her to be in that light and to be really strong-willed and to make it really prevalent and known. And actually this ghost story was originally, she had a nightmare and that's why, because she did have two miscarriages while she was writing the book. So they think that played into a little bit about the the feminist aspect of it and the creating life and the, the men and the woman dynamic and all mm-hmm. those things. But I think she did mean it because I think she could see that she was treated differently and because right. of her mom and because of her dad and because of who they were in the right. past. She knew that there was more to just being a housewife. Takes two to tango. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like is and the I think it's really line. cool because I don't think I really honestly don't think she realized how prevalent it would be, but I also think it's sad that it's not taught in this light. And why I don't am, we learn about the like that's my question is why don't we learn about the authors of these not like all of these authors and and novels are chosen by the state or who whomever yeah, yeah. For a reason. to be part of the curriculum for a reason. Mm-hmm. Cool. Why? What makes them relevant? What lessons do they teach? Why they're writing this story? Why it's relevant? Why we feel the need to document what's going on or make up ghost stories or whatever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't we encouraged to do that on our own? I wish we were. That's what we're encouraging you to do. Exactly. To turn into a Mary Shelley. All of our three listeners. (laughs) 